All right, so we're going to be looking at chapter 4, verses 7 through 13 this morning. That'll be where we'll focus, and mainly verses 11 through 13. And as we pick up in verse 7 here in Ephesians chapter 4, we are still on the subject of Christian unity. Remember, we talked about how in the first 16 verses of this fourth chapter, Paul is really dealing with the issue of Christian unity. And Paul goes on to say that even though we are all part of this one body collectively, he now says we each individually have been given grace to do our part in building up the body of Christ. Building up the body of Christ, he said, till we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature. And so that's really what we're talking about today. We're talking about becoming mature as Christians. And Paul, notice he's, he connects these two things. Unity is connected to maturity. If we are spiritually mature, then we're going to be more inclined to uh, live harmoniously with each other, recognize the importance of how much we need uh, one another as members of Christ's body. And inevitably, we're going to then be more impactful in our world uh, when we're united. So we're going to be looking really at how the Lord brings about this maturity in his church. And we see here, it starts with him giving gifted servants to his church. And so verse 11, we read, so Christ himself gave, and then he goes on, the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, uh, for the equipping of the saints, so that they can then do the works of service or the work of the ministry, so the body of Christ can be built up. So... We're going to look at uh, three major points this morning. Uh, First of all, looking at those that Christ has given to the church, the equippers. And then we're going to look at what it looks like to be equipped. And then thirdly and finally, look at at, uh, what it it means to be participating in the building up of the body of Christ. So he mentions these five, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Now, there are three other places in the New Testament where we have listings of gifts. Romans chapter 12, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and then there's a couple of references to gifts in 1 Peter chapter 4. Uh, But in in each one of those there, uh, those gifts for the most part are gifts bestowed upon Believers, But here, what we have is a picture of gifted believers who are being bestowed upon the church by Christ himself for uh, the purpose of establishing and developing the church. And so, he mentions five, apostles and prophets. And those two are linked together, then evangelist, and then pastor and teacher. Those are also linked together. So when it comes to apostles and prophets, many people have asked this question. Several people have asked me personally this question. Are there apostles still today? And the answer to that question is a little bit tricky. The answer is no and yes. (laughs) So 
quite an answer, isn't it? Are there apostles today? No, and yes. So, okay, why do I say no? Well, we have to understand that the, the term apostle, the, the idea of the office of apostle, you can see it in two different ways. You can see it in its primary way that we normally think of it, but then there's also a secondary way. You see, the word apostle in the New Testament isn't always used exactly the same or referring always to exactly the same people. So I believe, again, if somebody says, are there apostles in the church today? I would say, no, there aren't if you're talking about apostles like the original apostles, the 12. They had a unique position in history. They had a unique gifting by God. They were uh, the ones who were there to lay the foundation of the church. This epistle, chapter 2, verse 20, remember maybe when we were studying back there that the, the church is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the, the cornerstone. And so their ministry was foundational. And also what they were called and gifted by God to do was to complete the, the written revelation they brought the New Testament to us. And so when we're talking about apostles in that sense, we would say, no, there are no apostles today. Apostles in that sense refer to the 12, uh, including Paul, their associates, people like Barnabas, Mark, Timothy, Silas, Luke. Um, they, they would be the, the primary references. And so, no, we have no apostles in that sense today. But there's apostles in a secondary sense. And there are also uh, prophets in a secondary sense. Now, the, the apostles and prophets, they overlap one another. It's hard to really distinguish ex uh, between an apostle and a prophet. Their, their ministries overlap. In Acts chapter 13... We read there that in the church in Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers. That's what it says, certain prophets and teachers. And then it gives you a list of names. And two of the names in that list are Saul and Barnabas. Now, Saul, of course, became the apostle Paul. So Saul and Barnabas are referred to there as among the prophets and teachers. Nothing said about them being apostles, but we know certainly Paul was an apostle and Barnabas is even referred to as being an apostle. So my point is, it's, it's a thin line between the apostles and the prophets and how to uh, divide between them. They're very similar. Their ministries overlap. So now, talking about them in the secondary sense, this is where I would say, yes, there are still apostles and prophets today. So in the secondary sense, apostles today, um, missionary in some sense, would be similar. Not everybody who's a missionary is necessarily apostle, an apostle. But some people who uh, have been missionaries, I think, would also have been apostles, had apostolic type of ministry. And I think one of the best illustrations of that, I've shared this before, is going back to the 1800s, but going back to the ministry of Hudson Taylor. James Hudson Taylor, this Yorkshireman who feels called by God as a, as a teenager to take the gospel to the people of China. And then he goes and he, he comes there as a missionary in a, in a missionary organization, 
but it doesn't take too long before he finds out it's not working out with the organization that he's in. He eventually sort of breaks away and becomes independent. And then he embarks on this apostolic ministry where he is going to where no Christian missionaries have gone before. He's preaching the gospel and he's establishing churches. Today, the 100 million plus Christians in China, many of them, in looking at their genealogy, they would point back to Hudson Taylor as uh, being part of their genealogy. So Hudson Taylor was a missionary, that's how we think of him, but he was really an apostle to the people of China. So that's an example uh, of, of an apostle in the secondary sense. So an apostle in the secondary sense is a pioneer evangelist church planter. A pioneer, mean they're going uh, into new territory. They're, they're charting new ground. They're going where Christianity either hasn't been or it hasn't been there for a long time. And any, uh, any remnant of it is, is sort of, you know, almost died out. So they go in and, and they're, they're carving out a new path, so to speak. So that's the, the pioneer part of it. But then the evangelist part of it is, of course, they're going out and they're, they're preaching the gospel. That's what the original apostles did. They went out and they preached the gospel, but they didn't simply preach the gospel. They established churches. So they planted churches. So that would be uh, an example of the apostle in a secondary sense. And yes, we, we have those uh, still today, I believe. Now, we who are part of Calvary Chapel and, you know, we're part of a, a group of churches, a network, a family of churches. Uh, some people refer to the Calvary Chapel movement. We have about 1,500 churches plus in our movement. And uh, we are largely a movement of pastors and teachers. And since we're largely a movement of pastors and teachers, we haven't given sometimes a whole lot of thought to the role of apostles and prophets. Many Calvary Chapel pastors would just simply say, there are no longer apostles and prophets. But I think if we stopped and thought about it, we would realize, uh, yes, there are. And we still have some, or we have some even in our own movement that maybe we just didn't recognize. Because we have guys within our own group of churches who have done, not on the scale that, um, that Hudson Taylor did maybe, but they've done similar kinds of things. I often kind of jokingly, but yet also I'm partially serious, I refer to a few friends of mine as apostles to certain places because God's used them in that sort of a way. They went into a region or they might have gone into a nation and they brought the gospel and they planted, you know, 15, 20 churches or something like that. That's an apostolic ministry. Okay, so there you have the apostles. Prophets, what are prophets today then? Are there still prophets today? Well, there are prophets today, yes, uh, but not in the sense that we would think. There's nobody today that prophetically speaks with the same kind of authority that you find in the Bible, the kind of authority that the, the Old or New Testament prophets spoke with them. The, of course, the Old Testament prophets, they spoke and you, they could say, thus says the Lord. So if you have a prophet today who says, thus says the Lord, I'm... I'm a little concerned about that. I'm not thinking that person's necessarily a prophet at all. But I do believe that there is a, a gift of prophet still today. And I think the way I would define it would be uh, a, 
those that have an ability to powerfully proclaim, expound, apply the word of God to their generation. And God has gifted certain people whose ministries uh, go far beyond the local church that they might be involved with, and they have a larger voice. Their voice speaks more broadly to the, the body of Christ or a large segment of the body of Christ. I think that's uh, more of a prophetic kind of a thing. Now, probably the best illustration of a prophet that we would be familiar with would be Billy Graham. Billy Graham, I think, was truly a prophet in the sense. Of course, he was an evangelist, but he was, he was a prophet, really, because he spoke to a generation. He spoke to nations collectively. He spoke to the world. Billy Graham had spoken to more people about Christ than any other living person in all of history. That's absolutely amazing. So I would say that's a, a prophetic. He had a prophetic kind of a ministry. He preached the gospel to the masses. He uh, influenced and counseled with kings and prime ministers and queens and presidents. And so I, I think he would be a good illustration of a modern day prophet. And there are no doubt others as well. So in the secondary sense, we still have apostles and prophets, and they are part of this group that God has given for the equipping of the saints to do the work of the ministry for the building up of the body of Christ. Now, from there, we go to evangelist. Here's another gift. God has given evangelist. And thank God for evangelists because they're the ones that uh, lead people to Christ. And when we think of an evangelist, most of us are aware what what that is referring to. It's to a person who's, who's proclaiming the gospel, either maybe publicly to the masses, or maybe they have an effective ministry in personal evangelism. I like what John Stott said in his comments on evangelist. He said, since all Christians are under obligation when they have an appropriate opportunity to bear witness to Christ and his good news, the gift of an evangelist, which is only bestowed upon some, must be something different. I think he's right. So then he says this. He says, it may refer to the gift of evangelistic preaching or of making the gospel particularly plain and relevant to unbelievers or of helping timorous people take the plunge of commitment to Christ or of effective personal witnessing. Probably the gift of an evangelist may take all these different forms and more. And then at the end of the paragraph, he says this, there's a great need for gifted evangelists today who will pioneer new ways of exercising and developing their gift so as to penetrate the vast unreached segments of society for Christ. I couldn't agree more with Billy Graham or with John Stott. We need more evangelists today. We need more people that are gifted to really share the gospel uh, in this kind of a way. God, send more evangelists. When I travel and I meet with churches around the world, different places, oftentimes I, as I'm talking to the pastor, I'm feeling, you know, man, do you have an evangelist here in your church? You need, you need to engage more in evangelism, sharing the gospel with people. So when we think of evangelists, Somebody, again, that I think all of us would understand as an evangelist would be Greg Laurie. Greg has this gift as an evangelist. 
He speaks to large groups of people and he presents the gospel in a very clear and compelling way and multitudes of people respond. That's, that's a gift that God has given to Greg. Um, I think of somebody that has a similar gift but not exercised on, on that level but yet just as effective but more on a, on a personal level uh, but not, not to say that it's not maybe to you know, groups of people as well, just not as larger groups, but we have a person who's part of our ministry here, Brian McDaniels. Brian, is, he lives and ministers in Haiti. Uh, but anybody who knows Brian McDaniels knows that this guy is just an absolutely amazing evangelist. He's, he's gifted as an evangelist. Every time I'm with Brian and I'm watching him evangelize, I'm just, I'm so jealous. I'm just thinking, Lord, why can't I do that? This... This guy, just with the greatest of ease, he gets into conversations with people, and with the greatest of ease, he just leads right into sharing Christ with them. And, I, you know, I look at it, and I honestly just realize this is a gift. And maybe you know people like that, or maybe you are one of those people. Maybe you know people like that, and you're, you're frustrated like I am. Like, how come I'm not like that? Well, it's a, it's a gift. God, God gives these gifts. So the gift of the evangelist. But then we come to the pastors and teachers. And just like the apostles and prophets are, are together and they overlap, so the pastors and teachers are together and I think they overlap. And this is, for me personally, this is the area where I'm confident that God's gifted me. Now I do the work of an evangelist, but I don't, I don't sense that, you know, that, that great gifting as an evangelist. But I do it because we're called to do it. And the scripture exhorts, uh, Paul said to Timothy, do the work of an evangelist. I think Timothy was probably more like a pastor teacher, but God's telling him, or Paul's telling him, the Lord's speaking to him through Paul, uh, do the work of an evangelist. So the pastors and teachers, what is, what is the task of the pastor teacher? To oversee the local churches, to teach God's people God's word, to do it both congregationally and individually, and then to pray for God's people. So that's what we do as pastors and teachers. We teach God's people God's word to the congregation like I'm doing right now, but then also individually. We commonly refer to this as counseling, but counseling is really nothing more than uh, ministering the word of God on a personal level or an individual level to uh, a person or a few people. So that's what the pastors and teachers do. The word pastor is uh, the word shepherd. So it's the idea of watching over God's people like a sheep, like a sheep, watch over the shepherd, like a shepherd watches over the sheep. <laughs> so, you know, you think of a shepherd and the sheep, the shepherd feeds the flock, the shepherd uh, tends to the flock, and the shepherd leads the flock. So that's, that's really the role of the pastor teacher. So Paul is telling us that God has given to his church these apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers for the equipping of the saints. So the saints can be equipped. And all five of these gifts are important and necessary for a fully functioning 
ministry the way God would intend it to be. And so, equipping the saints. Now, let me just make a comment here. If you have a King James Bible, if you read the King James Version of the Bible, you might notice in this passage here that there's a, a comma that's placed that should not be there. And some have referred to it as the fatal comma because what it's done is it's literally hindered ministry for centuries even. And, and here's how that happened. If you, if you have a King James Version, it says, uh, he gave some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. And then this is what it says. For the equipping of the saints, comma, for the work of the ministry, comma, for the building up of the body of Christ. So because of that one comma in the middle, it was interpreted that these were the, basically these three things were the job description of the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. So in other words, the, those, that group of people were responsible to, number one, equip the saints. Number two, do the work of the ministry. Number three, build up the body of Christ. You see, so what that did is it created sort of like a professional ministry who did the work of the ministry and it left the vast majority of Christians with nothing to do except to watch, spectate. But you see, the comment never should have been there because what it's actually saying and all of the revised trans translations understood this finally, what it's saying is that this group, the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, their responsibility is to equip the saints so the saints can do the work of the ministry and the body of Christ can be built up. That's the order. So what it's proclaiming is uh, that everybody's part of the ministry, that we're all in this together, that what we are doing who have been given these gifts, we are equipping you to come along and join with us, and we're all engaged in this building up of the body of Christ together. So as I've said many times before, there are no spectators in um, the biblical picture of the church. There's, there's no spectator section where, okay, you guys, your job is to watch what goes on. You're to watch these people uh, engage in the activity. No, that, you, you don't have that picture in the New Testament. In the New Testament, everybody's engaged. Everybody's on the field. Everybody's got a part to play. Everybody's got something to do. And so just a, a, a note to clarify there. But he's talking about equipping the saints. Now, this word equipping is an interesting word because it was used in the context of uh, preparing a ship for sailing. Now, you know, when you're sailing, and sailing in the sense of taking these, these long-distance journeys, uh, in order to assure, or as much as you could anyway, success in your venture, you, you had to make sure that your ship was fully equipped. Because once you set sail, there's no turning back. So either you get everything that you need before you go or 
you go and you find out you don't have it and it could mean disaster. So it's, it's the same word that's used here when Paul says the equipping of the saints. So it's supplying us with the things that we need to do the work that God's called us to do. So how are the saints equipped? Well, again, three points here. First of all, we equip them in the word through verbal instruction. Now, this is a major uh, way of equipping, and that's why we spend the majority of our time together um, ministering God's word, because it's through the word, through the verbal instruction of the word, that we are equipped. Paul said to Timothy, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. It is profitable for uh, correction, for reproof, for teaching, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be uh, thoroughly equipped for every good work. So we equip through verbal instruction of the word. We teach the Bible and we help people to understand what God says. And as we know what God says, and then we help people to apply that to their lives. Secondly, we equip them by example in ministry. So it's not just verbal instruction, but it's instruction through example. We live out um, the life of, of those in ministry. Paul, of course, would many times point to himself and say, you know, look at me and, and look at those who are with me and, and look at the example that we set for you. And so we equip people by, by showing them, it, it, by example, what ministry is like. And then thirdly, we equip them by inviting them to come alongside and join in the work that we are engaged in. So this is another way of equipping. It's not just verbal instruction or me showing you how to do it, but it's me saying, hey, come on, get involved in this. Let's do this together. And if you think about it, this is exactly what Jesus did. This is exactly how he prepared his apostles and disciples to eventually go on in ministry when he would go back to heaven. What did he do? Many occasions we can read in the gospels that he pulled them aside, he sat down, and he instructed them. He was teaching them. He was teaching them the truths about the kingdom. But of course, he was also exemplifying what ministry was like. He was letting them see him in action. Many times they were there just watching what Jesus did. But then he, of course, included them. And they were with him, and he would engage them. He would involve them in the ministry that he was doing. He would give them power over demons and the ability to heal and things like that. So, so Jesus himself showed us this is how equipping takes place. And so this is the, the task of those that God has given the, the position of spiritual leadership. It's to equip the body. It's to equip the saints to equip them for works of service. For works of service. Now, what are works of service? Well, listen, the possibilities are limitless. 
Works of service, what are they? They're any one of a million things. See, God is doing things, and he's doing new things, and he's always wanting to do fresh things. And so really, for us, it's in works of service, it's really uh, giving on our part. We're giving ourselves over to all of the possibilities that are there, anything that God might lead us into. We're giving our time, our gifts, our talent, our strength, our resources, our energy, all of those things. We're just making them available to God for the furtherance of his kingdom. And it could be one of, of any thing imaginable. God can just, you know, put on your heart. This, this is something I want to do. As you're seeking him, he might uh, just, you, you get a thought in your head and it doesn't go away. You know, there are many ministries in churches. There's the, the obvious ministries. We have children's ministry and we have the ministries where we help facilitate people and all of those kinds of things. Um, and they're, they're, they're pretty steady. They're pretty consistent. But... You know, at some point, actually, somebody probably said, you know, I got an idea. We should, maybe we should help people with this. And that became a ministry in the church. You know, Sunday school wasn't always with us. Children's ministry, we call it Sunday school. Uh, It wasn't always a part of the church's uh, curriculum or the way the church approached things. As a matter of fact, the, the person that came up with the idea for Sunday school was originally thought to be a heretic. (laughs) <laughs> like, what? You're going to separate the family? You're going to take our kids away and you're going to teach them by themselves? That's, that was terrible. But a few other people evidently thought it was a good idea and it caught on. And now Sunday school is so common, you would almost think that it started with the apostles themselves because it's just been part of our church culture for so long. But no, what happened is somebody was seeking the Lord and their, this thought came to their head and they couldn't shake it and they stepped out in and, and Sunday school. And then it spread all the way across so many of the different denominations. So you see, those are the kinds of things. God just puts something on your heart. I think the, the guys that we have here today with Joe, uh, I read the story about how this whole Saving the Storks ministry came about. He was just looking for God to lead him to do something. Just, Lord, what can I do? And the Lord put this thing on his heart. Get Get a van and equip it and go out to these pregnancy centers and let people see what's actually happening. Let, let them see a sonogram and all of this. And, you know, when I read that story, I thought, wow, that's amazing. But this is just, you know, a thought in his head, taking a step of faith. And look, it's now given us an opportunity to get involved and be engaged on this level. So the works of service are are, uh, like I said, unlimited. You never know what God wants to do. So it's just making ourselves available, doing the obvious things that are already there, that are already necessary to do. Um, and, you know, maybe that's where you start. Maybe you say, you know, I want to get involved, so I'm going to go down and we've got 15 different opportunities here. I'm going to just pick one and I'm going to plug into it. But then the Lord can just open all kinds of new opportunities there. So equipping for the works of service to the end, what's the objective in all of this? The building up of the body of Christ. 
The body of Christ is strengthened. The body of Christ is edified. The body of Christ progresses as we, as Christians, take the gifts that God has given us and we use them. To edify, one description is the act of one who promotes another's growth in Christian wisdom, piety, happiness, and holiness. I like that. That's what it means to edify. That's what we're called to do. Edify the body of Christ. Help people along in their faith. If we are older in the Lord and we know more than other people do, come alongside of them in humility, of course, and help, help them grow. Instruct them. Pray for them. Teach them. Show them the things that you know. Things like that. So this is... This is how the Lord brings about maturity. And maturity lends itself to unity. And maturity and unity together lend itself to the church progressing and advancing, being built up. So with all that in mind, I want to close with three things. And this has been the sermon of threes, hasn't it? Three general points, three sub-points, and now three closing points. Here they are. Number one, this is the application of what we've been talking about. Number one, we need to be equipped by those God has appointed. So we have this amazing resource, God's appointed servants. We need to put ourselves under the... Um, the ministry of those that God has appointed as apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. We need to put ourselves in a place where we are learning from them. Now, some people say, well, I don't need to go to church. I don't need a pastor to teach me. I've got my Bible. I can read it myself. I've got the Holy Spirit. I can get all I need from, from right there. You know, that's not true. You can't. If that were the case, then God wouldn't have given apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. He would have just said, hey, take a Bible and go read it, and you know, we'll see you in heaven later. But he didn't do that, did he? No. He gave apostles and prophets, evangelists, and pastors, and teachers for the equipping of the saints. You cannot be equipped unless you subject yourself to those gifted people that God has placed somewhere in your life. So... I'm kind of preaching to the choir because you guys are obviously here doing that. But, you know, there are some people that maybe you know somebody who you told them you were going to church today and they said, I'm not going to church. I don't need church. What do I need church for? I just stay home, read my Bible. That's just as good. No, it's not. You need to subject yourself under the, uh, the gifting of those that God has uh, enabled to do these things. Secondly, we need to be vitally connected to a community of believers. This is another thing we commonly hear today. Well, I don't need to go to church. I, I don't need to, what do I need to be there for? Well, you need to be vitally connected to other believers is what you need. And you see, because all of this stuff, it, it happens in the context of relationships. I mean, when you look at the Bible and you look at the Christian faith and the Christian walk and all that, it's all related to relating to each other. It's all connected with people. Sometimes pastors jokingly say things like, you know, the ministry would be great if it weren't for the people. Well, 
you know, quite frankly, if there were no people, there'd be no ministry because ministry happens with people. And so we have to put ourselves in that place. We need to be vitally connected to a community of believers. And notice I intentionally use the word vitally connected here, vitally. Vitally means that I'm, you know, it's something that, it's vital, I need it. I've gotta be there, I can't take this or leave it. I've gotta take it totally. My, my connection with the body of Christ should not be casual, uh, take it or leave it kind of a connection. No, it should be seen as vital. I've got to be with God's people. I've got to be connected with that community. Now, again, today, this is, I think, even more applicable because it's possible. So let's say you say, well, look, I, I get some of the greatest teaching in the world. I'm, I'm cool with that. You're right. Uh, I, I need to be taught. Um, but I just get my teaching through podcast. I just get my teaching by going on the internet. I just get my teaching by turning on my favorite Bible teacher on the radio or whatever the case might be. Um, no, that's good that you do that. That's fantastic. Keep doing it, but not to the exclusion of the vital connection with a community of believers. You, you got to have both. It's not either or, it's both. We come together in both things. And then thirdly and finally, we need to be engaged in works of service that build up Christ's body. So that's pretty much what the application of the text is. We need to be engaged. Some people think mistakenly that their duty and their, their or, you know, obligation and they... You know, the fulfillment of that obligation is showing up at church once a week, or in some cases, maybe twice a week. Well, I did my Christian service. I went to church. No, you come to church. That's not doing your Christian service. That's equipping you to do your Christian service. So we need to be engaged in works of service. Listen, if you're not doing something for the Lord that you can specifically say, yeah, this is what I'm engaged in. These are the works of service that I am involved in currently. You need to get involved in something because this is part of the Christian life. It's being engaged. In the early days of the church, of course, it was nothing like it is today in the sense that people, people didn't just show up and then you know, they're there for the sermon and then they left. Often at times the churches were smaller. They met in houses and things like that. You couldn't just show up and listen to the sermon and leave. That, it didn't work that way. You had to get engaged. You had to be involved. And so in principle, that's still true today, even though we have maybe a different structure or the way we go about it. And certainly you can just come and listen and get up and go and never uh, engage with anyone. We need to be engaged in works of service. Get involved in doing something. You know, the very first thing I did at this church, you know what it was? It was setting up chairs and taking them down in the fellowship hall before and after a Bible study. It's the very first thing I did. I came. I was excited about the Lord. I wanted to serve him in some way. I didn't even know, you know, what the possibilities were. As, just as a Christian, as a person who got saved, I was doing my best to tell my friends about Jesus and what he'd done for me. But as I was coming over here to the church, I just felt like, you know, I wonder if I can do something. And one night somebody said, 
hey, we need some help uh, here on a regular basis, just setting up and tearing down for the service. And somebody said, would you like to be part of that? And I said, sure. Sounds good. Yeah. I'll come early, set up chairs. I'll stay a little later, tear them down at the end. And I did that. I did that for a while. And then as I was doing that, a little bit later, someone came along in the leadership and said, you know, you, you've been here. I, I see you. You're regular. You're faithful. You're consistent. Would you want to maybe, you know, after the service, would you want to maybe pray with a few people if there were people that need prayer? So yeah, well, I think I could do that. That'd be great. So setting up chairs and praying with people, that was a good place to start. And then so, finally, you know, some other thing came along and some other thing came along. So, you know, anybody can set up chairs, right? Anybody can tear them down. Anybody can do those kinds of things. You might think, well, what's the big deal with that? Well, it might not be a big deal in one sense, but it's needed. It's, it's, a, it's, it's a service that needs to be done. Somebody needs to do it. So what I'm saying is just get involved on any level. D- don't, don't make the mistake of thinking, well, you know, I, what, what can I do at the church? I can't preach or I hear those people singing up there. I can't sing. I can't play guitar. I, I don't have a, a, a lot of gifts or talents or sometimes that's what we think. Well, they won't be able to use me because I don't have much to offer. You know what? You just offer whatever you can do, and that'll be sufficient to get started. And then God, he, once, once we just take those steps, he, he opens doors. He leads us in directions. And then we might someday find ourselves doing things that we never even dreamed we would do. That's the way God does it. So, again, in closing... God has given gifted men to equip the saints for works of service so the body of Christ can be built up. Wherever you're at in that picture, plug in and do the things that God has for you to do. Lord, we thank you for your wonderful grace that allows us the privilege of serving you. Lord, we thank you that we're part of this thing called the church, the called out ones, the body of Christ, the people of God. And Lord, that you're building your church and that we can be part of what you're doing. And so help us today, Lord, each one of us, You have something for us to do. Help us to be engaged. Help us to just get in and get involved with works of service. Help us, Lord, to seek out the fellowship that we need, to be vitally connected, not just over on the sidelines kind of looking in, but not engaging. Help us, Lord, to be vitally connected. Teach us, instruct us, grow us up so that we will be mature, we will be unified, and we will be impactful in our world. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.